Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Where to hunt Where podcast. To hunt it's, 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 okay. it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Nah, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bow Hunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. Uh, it's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Today is Tuesday, July 13th. Luckily, it's not a Friday or I would totally murder this thing. It would be not good. And I don't mean murder in a good way. Like some people say I'm going to murder this. I mean like it would be bad. So anyway, uh, Greg's not with us in studio today or online. He has some stuff going on that he's got to deal with. We respect his time because, well, he's basically a volunteer. So am I. None of us really get paid to do this. Um, Everything goes back in. We're all about reinvesting in uh, growing the show. So you know, on that vein, let's uh, call out to our sponsors. We're coming at you from the OKS Hunter podcast studio because, you know, I am the OKS Hunter. Greg is the other OKS Hunter. There's a lot of OKS Hunters out there. So if you want to rep the OKS Hunter brand and what it means to kind of get back to our roots as a hunter and making it okay to make mistakes outdoors and hunt for the real trophies, the meat and the memories, then you can check out OKSHunter.com. You can use code W2H podcast to save 10% off. Cheers to Drop Time Spirits. I am drinking scotch today to preserve my drop time spirits, but uh, we just had the uh, Exodus crew in studio a couple weeks ago when we were really crushing that bottle, so that was fun. And uh, shout out to Backwoods Grind Coffee for giving me energy to do this show and everything else that I do in my life every single day. Um, go to backwoodsgrind.com, use code WTHpodcast for 10% off. And last but certainly not least, I would say they are the show stoppers, Spartan Forge. Head on over to SpartanForge.ai. Use code W2H for 20% off. They are breaking the mold with technology. Their app is like coming soon. Like, please pay attention. Go check them out. I shared some stuff from them uh, earlier this week or last week. I don't know what day today is. Obviously, I know it's Tuesday. But other than that, I don't have a good bearing on my sense of time right now. Everything's all jacked up. We got a new puppy. Uh, trying to build the room in the basement for the new studio. I got to get kicked out of here pretty quick. So we might end up in the garage for a little while. That's getting built. Lots going on. So anyway, thanks for joining us and hearing me ramble on. But don't worry, it's not going to be just me today. I am joined by a guest. Uh, we do have Nick Otto with Hunt of War Podcast hanging out with us virtually in studio, drinking some... What do you got, bourbon or scotch? Uh, we're going bourbon. I got a wild turkey blend to that rare breed. Uh, I Ooh, think it's cheers. five, eight, and 12-year uh, blend going on. But yeah, cheers over there across the lake. That's uh, that sounds really tasty. I didn't. I never thought of like mixing all of the different ages that way. Yeah, you get them from the early age. I, I act like I know a lot, but I definitely I'm I'm very novice when it comes to this. But how it was explained to me is the newer stuff 
is really going to show the rye notes. It's really going to show that spicy, but then the older stuff is going to mellow things out. So it does start a little hot first, and then yep. it just cools its way on as it goes back down, smooths back out. Oh, so it's a great sipper for like a, a podcast or something. You described that really well. Yeah, I just like the, to have something to do, and this is it. And if I drink beer, it they, they start going down like way too much, and then I feel like crap the next day. So like one or two of these, I'm I'm pretty good. It's something to do, whatever. Might as well be water. It doesn't really matter for me, but I like the the scotch or the bourbon. Both are good. Exactly. So, something a little high octane, because yeah, you just you just need a sipper, you know, something to take the yeah, edge off. You freaking get it. So across the pond. Uh, let's talk about your spiel over there. Huntivore podcast. You're part of the sportsman's nation. They house a number of great shows, yours included, and you're really centralized around wild game and you got the apron on, like you're ready to, to rock, man. Like you're going to make us a meal on the show tonight or what's going on? You know, I thought about, cause we were going to go live. I'm like, I might as well look the part. I didn't think about having something ready to go. That's, the, that's the... my bad. I should have, <laughs> yeah, I should have the knife down here. We should be taking apart a leg right here, but Sadly, I, I am not doing that tonight. But yeah, Sportsman's Nation is a great place to just find relatable content. I mean, a bunch of those guys on there, they, they have nine to five jobs. This is their passion, and they want to be able to share what they love to do. And they just give some great content. And me, myself, really enjoy the idea of using Wild Game to the best of my ability and not finding that anywhere else. I thought, hey, I should be able to talk about this i should find other people that are like-minded and boom here we are i've i've been on for three full years this is the start of year oh, four wow man Holy and crap. yeah just going any, anywhere from venison to waterfowl you know i'm still working on the waterfowl stuff i'm i'm really good at taking handouts from others when it comes to waterfowl um but actually getting out in the field and doing that has been been a little difficult but just getting into different areas um fish has been a really big thing so far uh been using the fryer a lot with the boys they really like their uh perch and bluegill fried up really well but we're yeah, trying to what you, uh, breading them with what do you got for that say it again what are you uh, using for breading i use a whole number of stuff if i'm cornmeal and flour is always a good one to go with um mm -hmm. i like a dry i mean you can go with the drakes as long as you really let it drip off um i find with that it's it's hot oil and whether you like the tempura or the drake style or if you like the cornmeal based I think anything can really shine out of that. Um, I think it's more technique as far as exactly what you're using. We do have a local guy who does his own batch called Skeeters, and I've been playing with his as well. So some days it's the Skeeters, and other days it's going to be the Drakes. I have a whole shelf of breading that we're working through. Dude, yeah, for sure. What about hot sauce? Are you like one of those? Like those people like collect hot sauce. There's a whole podcast community on hot sauces. <laughs> Are you like dabbling in any of that for flavor and things like that too? Um, buddy of mine out in Southern California, uh, Jeremiah Dotry, he actually made fun of me being a Midwesterner. And he's like, you guys don't like anything other than ranch and maple syrup. So I made it a challenge to try and break out and to have some, uh, have some hot stuff really trying to, you know, see if I couldn't expand my palate. Um, and it's been fun to find new stuff that was out there. I thought I found something new at a restaurant where it was the Chipotle, um, Frank's Red Hot. It was a Chipotle okay. recipe. Oh, I've never heard of and that. Okay. Come to find out, it's been around for a long, wow. <laughs> a long time. So it was like, oh, well, I'm just late to the bandwagon. Car new to me. Okay, it's new to me. <laughs> right. I did find one out of Nashville. I think the company is called Nashville Hot, and they I've do a that. yeah, they do a spicy garlic. Oh yeah, that 
that's a good one. I mean, it, it does. It kind of slaps you in the face. It's not a full-on punch, but it definitely hits you hard at the beginning. And then, yeah, you start to notice the garlic at the end so that you're not as intimidated by it. Oh, God. See, this this episode, folks, is going to make you hungry, but it should get you excited for a lot of things. Um, I think the biggest change for me with the you know wild game was getting a pellet grill. I'm not going to get on the whole pellet grill bandwagon, but it really did get me enthused and excited to try more stuff with the grill. I still have my Weber charcoal that I use also um, with my little you know charcoal chimney stack and stuff. So I'm not exclusively on that, but I'm on that more than anything else. And it's it's like smoking meat for dummies. You really can't mess it up. So you get a lot of what you would expect out of smoking your, your meat with like wood without all of the know-how necessarily. But one, well, I guess what I wanted to talk about too, unless there's any other things like Michigan, I, I don't know. Tell me a little bit before we dive into topic, like what's going on with your podcast now and into the near future? What are you excited about other than three years in, which is a big deal? Yeah, um, just continuing to find more like-minded people. Um, that's one of the big things I do is I just talk to other home chefs or I talk to professionals who have had a hand in wild game just to expand on what our repertoire is as okayist hunters. Um, we get a piece of meat and we want to be able to do something with it. Maybe, maybe we are in that realm of like Midwest. I like ranch. I like maple syrup. And that's going to be my wheelhouse ground meat. I love it. Well, hey, let's make the best damn ground meat that we can. Let's not just chalk it up to something that we, you know, throw on for burgers haphazard, but let's make something that we really do enjoy because you're going to eat the, or excuse me, you're going to cook the way that you eat. And if that's what you like is you like burgers, you like Salisbury steak, you like the, the easy stuff, then by all means, just go with it and enjoy as much of the wild game as you can that way. And then there's another crowd that really wants to like, you know what? I've done this. I want to do something different. My taste palate wants to expand beyond uh, putting a bunch of uh, cream mushroom soup or getting the spaghetti sauce in there. We want to we want to branch outside of that. And so to be able to balance two for something that I can use on a you know Tuesday evening that I got to feed a mess of kids, or where I have a, a date night, or I have a, a gathering of people where I want to be able to uh, present something on the plate. So we try to balance both of those. My current project that I'm working on right now is an, um, an umami bomb shake, as in not as a like a spice shake. And basically what I've done is I've taken um, a certain number of vegetables and items that you can dehydrate and you want to be able to then powderize or to put some put them inside of like a spice grinder and grind them up. Um, I was just throwing that on our stories. And so trying to find a way. Uh, that I can use that shake to really take things to the next level. It's not adding salt. It's not necessarily adding a spice, but it's using the natural compounds of tomatoes, mushrooms, garlic, onion. Um, what was the other one? Parmesan, uh, Origiano, and anchovies. You're already oh. going to be like, wait a minute. You're throwing, you're throwing fish into a dehydrator? Absolutely. I grind all those up and I've currently made a shake and we're playing with it. I've, uh, I've done it on backstrap and I already had the wife really excited how it just took all that flavor and just amplified that venison. Didn't add more sodium. Doesn't add any chemical to it. It's all stuff that you can literally have out of your garden. You just got to take the time to dehydrate it. 
So dehydrating that's not that complicated. Everyone's got a dehydrator in their house. It's your oven. So no, there's no excuses. <laughs> exactly. And if it's the confection, if it's the convection oven where you got the fan in the back, you just keep that door open, keep the button down, and it'll it'll run. So that's what I that's my current project right now. So I should have more to that here soon. That's really that's really something because I salted the shit out of some venison steaks on my cast iron. Um, it was good. It was salty, you know, and I was like, man, did I overdo the salt? Like, is that a thing? Can you really overdo it? I wasn't sure. I, I, I don't know. I'm learning, you know, but it was, we've got that really nice crusted sear on there and I don't know how much the salt played a component in that or not. Yeah. Salt Felt isn't going to, salt's not going to add to your, your crust. Um, your crust is going to be made by the, the proteins that are coming out of the meat. Or if you do end up like using an oil on the outside, um, buddies of mine over there at, oh, I'm drawing a blank, Harvesting Nature. They got a great okay. tip on literally just brushing mayonnaise. They just brush a little like thin layer of mayonnaise on the outside of your, your venison. It's so lean that it doesn't have necessarily the fat that needs to come out of that in order to make that crust. But at the same time, if you add the oil the oil gets too hot and it's going to then take whatever seasoning you put on the outside, scald it. So then at that point, your pepper doesn't work. It's, it's already burnt. It's gone. So what they've done is with the emulsified egg and oil, that's the, the mayonnaise putting a thin layer that gets you the crust on a super lean piece of meat, say venison. So that's been a trick that I've used on all my stuff that does go on the grill, be it Venny. Is it literally, I just bring out a little jar of it and just, ladle on or just brush on a little silicone brush and that just gives me the sear that i'm looking for this is just i'm i'm already learning so much and i hope anyone listening <laughs> you know you want to be a, you want to be an eternal student of all of these things if you think you know it all you probably shouldn't listen and maybe you know some great things but it's always cool to hear some other things that might spice up what you're doing quite literally you talk about like making a shake or the spices um there's always something to learn i, I wouldn't have considered that or thought of that so that I, you're adding more flavor without adding more sodium. Everything about that is awesome. What I want to do is back it up a whole bunch all the way back into the forest or the field or the swamp or the marsh, wherever the hell you're getting this animal out of, um, and talk about some of the preparation and care that's to go into like gutting that animal and getting it out of the woods. And that, that can start all the way into your shot placement. So you're not getting a gut shot. So how much does some of the field care translate to the quality and flavor of the meat that you're getting once you get it to the point where you're getting it clean and ready to put on the grill or the stove or whatever? Oh, uh, immense. When you talk about high quality protein that comes out of your grocery store, or even you go to the butcher shop and get uh, domestic meat, uh, there is so much more care put into how that animal is put down. It is, it is by no means a haphazard process. You're bringing it sometimes like with a steer, you're bringing in a 15, 12 to 1200 to 1500 pound animal that you now need it to basically expire. You need it to die as quick as possible and to prevent injury internally to itself or others that are trying to do this process. And so there's a whole process that goes into being able to put that animal down safely, but at the same time renders out the best quality meat possible and it's all on timing as soon as that animal's hit it is bled it is hung quartered and uh and hung to the age at that point 
So now here we are as hunters. We don't have a controlled space. Mm-hmm. We don't have uh, necessarily the the absolute best conditions. And so a lot of times it is one of those like hope and pray that that's going to be good. A gut shot can do a number on quality, especially when it comes to your your tenderloins on the inside. At the same time, how quickly you recover that animal is also going to play a really big key. Basically, when it comes to field care, it's trying to make the best of what you've been given. Um, if there's people that are listening that know the game euchre, and when you're handed all nines and tens, and you got you know you got a farmer's hand, you got to figure out how to be the best partner you can with what you got. This is exactly what that is. Sometimes you are given both bowers and you got both lungs and put that thing down. Other times, man, you have an overnight that you got to then find this animal. And it's just something you got to figure out and how to basically get the best out of your situation at that point. But being able to be on top of that animal, get that animal opened up, get everything out and start cooling it. That is going to be the absolute best thing that you can do. Dragging it around, showing your buddies in the back of the truck. I do not suggest that. I know I've already told a couple of my buddies here at home, like they come pulling up the driveway with their deer and I'm like, do you want it in my fridge or do we need to get it to your fridge right now? Because something's got to happen. It's warm out. We can't be driving around. That's a good point. I, um, the buck that I got was November 4th. I was sweating my ass off and (laughs) it was a warm day, you know, and I was probably sweating my ass off because I just dragged this thing out of a freaking field, you know, uh, but I stopped at a gas station. The first one I came across ran in, you know, bloody hands and all look like a fucking murder scene. People probably looking at me like, what the hell is this guy doing on election day? Run around like this. And I grabbed a couple bags of ice and I stuffed it in that cavity um, because I knew it was going to sit overnight because I wasn't going to do anything with that animal myself. It was a week. I had to go to work the next day. You know, luckily it was pandemic time still and work from home was in effect. And I was like, I'm going to make a trip to the butcher in the morning before I like clock in. So, you know, y'all are going to have to deal with that. So I did, but it was a hike. I took it to a place that was like an hour away from me because it's a one-stop shop for taxidermy and meat processing. So I, I didn't want to like take it here and then take it there and ride around all this stuff. Um, so I think that was the right move to get some ice in there right away. And that certainly helped, but it, then, the, and then at night it cooled down a little bit, but ideally, you know, when I think about like gun hunting here in Wisconsin and Michigan, it's cold usually. You might have a one freak heat wave season, you know, the week before Thanksgiving is when it opens up for us for gun. But by and large, it's been pretty damn cold. So you shoot that thing and it's freezing up pretty quick. Obviously, you still want to get it open and cool off. But usually, as long as you get somewhere to hang that thing upside down, you're in pretty good shape. But Absolutely. Those guts, if, you, if you cut a gut on, on a, you cut a gut while you're gutting it. I don't know. It just seems like you're really ruining that meat. And I'm not that great at gutting deer, as we all might guess. <laughs> and it takes practice. Um, my my upbringing, my practice was was in the domestic world. I was I was opening up turkeys uh, from, you know, probably 12, 13 years old. I got to inviscerate a few times. And so being able to then, yeah, be able to, to nip the skin and get your hands in around uh the, the intestines and, and the gullet and being able to pull all that out, um, it, it takes practice. You know, the first, I, I still, even to this day, if I'm on the line, you know, I, I break some of that and it does, it makes a big mess. And the first thing I got to do is clean that thing out or just, you know, hose it down, get that stuff off the meat, off the skin as quick yep. as possible. And that applies the same thing to, to a deer. You know, you put one down and you, you slip the knife and, you know, 
yeah, either the arrow or the gun or whatever blows up the inside of that and you open it up and you got, yeah, you got stomach contacts everywhere. You've already lost trying to save the liver. You've already lost trying to save uh, a lot of those, like the the call fat, if you were going to go after that. At that point, it's really like uh, salvage everything else. Immediately pull all that out, get the anus out, and hose that thing out of the inside. I know there's a lot of people, there's a, there's a crowd out there that says, like, don't don't get any water on the inside. It's I would say it's all right to get a hose and just flush the whole inside cavity of that. Make sure you let that drain out and having air flow into it help lower that temperature as well. Moving air is a good thing. Stagnant air, not so much. So in the case of you where you're throwing it in your garage, you've pulled it out, you got two bags of ice in there. I'd say just turn a fan on it, and that would be the only change that I that I would do. Um, there was a gentleman who was a taxidermist told me about how sticking bags of ice, if you let those just sit in there, and let that fluid or let that water pool up. So you got a couple of days where that bag is going to be in there. That can leach its way into the neck and swell the neck of the hide. And so taxidermists will tell you don't don't do the uh, the bag of ice in there because you're going to get you're going to stretch that skin out and it's not going to work well on any mount that you're trying to do. If you're doing a shoulder mount, that could mess with it. But at the same time, that's funny. <laughs> Oh man. See, these are, these are things that, you know, it's good to learn to know. And there's some seasoned folks that they know this stuff. You know, I, if you're, oh, yeah. we have a, a pretty wide spectrum of folks that listen, you know, we have people that are brand new, mediocre, okayist. You know, we have some folks that listen cause we run a couple other segments and things like that, that are way on the other end of the spectrum where they're killing mature bucks and they know what the hell they're doing. We have woodsmen that listen, that know what they're doing. So it, you know, come, they, everyone comes all shape and size. It's always good to learn more things. Like that's not something I would have thought of. But, and by the way, I almost never think of the taxidermy because I almost never have anything that's worth mounting. <laughs> that's a whole different ball game of consideration if you're trying to do that. But on the on the meat side of things, the, adding the fan is a good a good tip. If I I wouldn't, I didn't think of that. I didn't do that. Um, obviously, the meat turned out fine, but could it have been better? You know, because my wife is not someone that is a big fan of venison. So when I do it, it's got to be done good, or she's throwing her nose up in the air and being like, no. And right now she's pregnant. So like she has no interest in venison at all, which is sad because I'm like in this really exploratory phase of trying to improve. And I'm like, this is like the best one I've made. What do you mean? You don't, you don't want to like try it at least. It's so good. You, you don't even understand. It's like 10 times better than two years ago. <laughs> so she still thinks like two, three years ago and I sucked at it, which I still suck at it. But the meat prep thing is, is great. Like she probably wouldn't eat venison if she knew that I ruptured or punctured a gut. And it got on the meat. She'd be like, no, it's bad. It's going to kill me. She's really funny about meat. So like that type of care and how the animal died is important to her from that perspective because she doesn't want to think about a sad deer dying or something, whatever. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. the cow lived to die. So whatever. That's different. I exactly. guess. <laughs> I don't know why. It's different for me because I'm like, I don't, that's sad. It lived, it's literally, it lived its whole life to just sit there and die. Come on. I, they do have, I mean, I look at the birds on our farm too. It's like, they, they do exactly whatever they, they wanted to do. Like, man, I'm hungry. Oh, look, there's food right over there. Oh, I'm thirsty, man. There's, there's water right over here. Oh, there's others that are like me. I'm going to, I'm going to go hang out with them. And it, they're just given everything that they want. And I think cattle is kind of the same way, you know, they're, they're out in their pasture and they get to do their thing. And then, you know, deer, they're, they absolutely, they have no boundaries. They just go where, wherever they want. I kind of yeah. look at it like, you know, if if somebody is going to take me out, if there is someone who's going to then, yeah, sneak up on me and 
pursue me the way that I pursue deer, and they finally put an arrow or a gun or whatever, they put a bullet through me, I hope they take as much care of me as I take care of the venison. That's all I ask. That's a good that's a good proposition. There's a there's a song. I don't know I don't know what the song is. It doesn't matter necessarily, but it's a it's a song that's out there and there's like a line that says, When I die, feed my uh, bones to the wolves or something like that. I think that's fa- kind of fa- this is totally off topic. Right. It's just reminding me of but it's like, yeah, that's kind of neat. Like I, yeah, bones wolves eat bone. I want to run with the wolves. That sounds like a fucking great idea. Like, how could you yeah, can you plant me somewhere where a deer's gonna fucking eat me? I want to be a big buck one day. Like, how about that? <laughs> exactly. So at some point you get cremated and yeah, turned into ash. It's like, you know what? Put part of me wherever you want, you know, if you want to, you know, know where I'm at or have some sort of like urn that I'm in. But at the same time, like, yeah, if you could mix me in with a food plot seed, that would that would be a great way to go. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I'll turn on to some scat somewhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, man. So the field prep is really important. A lot of reasons. I often wondered about the water thing. You kind of clear that up a little bit because, you know, when you're in the field, you, you, oftentimes you'll have some canteen or something like that. And, you know, if you get some nasty shit on there, like when we dragged my buck through a, a marsh or a swamp or whatever it was, and we stepped into over our ball sacks and water uh, and realized that's probably not the best direction to take. Uh, but the deer got soaked and I'm like, damn it, this can't be good for the meat, you know? So we're like dinking around with this canteen. We get it back by my truck. I'm like, this is, this is an exercise in futility. Like, what are we even doing? <laughs> but it made me think like, oh, I'm cleaning the meat, right? I'm cleaning it off a little bit. Right. You, you got to always think one step. There, there's got to be one step better or there's got to be what I can do in these situations. So you're dragging that animal out of some swamp and you know what? Yeah. You nip a, you nip a piece of the intestine. You got some gunk in there and you wipe it out as best you can with, with leaves or your water bottle or whatever. And then like, yeah, you're going through that, you know, that swamp or whatever, and you're dragging it through the water at that point. Well, it is getting flushed. Maybe not necessarily the cleanest water, but at the same time, it's better than the bile sitting on the, on the carcass at that point. And then you got back to the truck and you had the canteen, at least at that point you're going through and you're wiping it out. So it's always trying to improve where you're at and trying to get that to a state that, you know, think about it with your pregnant wife. It, would she be impressed with this move here? Like, granted, I, I am taking these steps closer and closer as I get to the truck or I get to the place where I can have a, a hose and uh, and some water from the house to be able to, to wash it out with. What can what steps can I take to make this better? I, I'd love to say that there's a like a fine tune program that I go with. But at this point, it's like, man, the deck has been shuffled. The deer is going to do what the deer is going to do. It's probably going to, you know, you let that arrow go or you shoot the shoot the gun. There's time that that deer can move and adjust and give you not the best uh, uh, placement. So you just got to be able to roll with the punches and having your stuff with you, having the ability to have your gut knife. I love a, a curved blade. Uh, the gut hooks are great. Um, the shape of it. I'm not very good with actually the hook. Yeah, uh, I, on the back. I, I don't do well with that either. I need to just, I need just a regular knife and I use my finger. You know what I mean? Like I just get in there. Yeah. I'm and I love there. the curl style because at that point, when I do get that in, I have the curve of the blade that does a whole heck of a lot work than anything that's pointed or straight and being able to then open that thing up, get everything out, get it cool. That's probably the, the best thing. Um, I got, I got Levi here. He's already saying getting that meat cool is, is especially important. You bet. Yep. It's going to be hot. It's going to be whatever conditions you got. You got to be able to get that cool. So the steps that you took with that buck, hey, you did exactly what you needed to do to get that 
to your processor in a in a quality state. And yep. like with you, if you're taking it to a processor, this is the time that you should be getting a hold of who's going to cut up your deer. I would not put it past uh, butchers and stuff to kind of already be putting their crews together for fall that's coming up. They're already kind of making some phone calls. You need to be one of those phone calls in saying, hey, come November, what are some things that you want from me? Because they're they're slow right now. They're well, I shouldn't say they're slow. This is barbecue season. So they're they're selling a bunch of meat. But just to be putting thoughts into their mind, even. So you know, when Eric comes walking in the door and he's like, Hey, what are some things you want me to be thinking about? How how do you want me uh to get this to you? Is there a number I need to call so that when deer season comes around, Eric Clark's first thing on his mind so that when when you arrive you got a good spot in line that's a good point uh and i can talk about that more in a minute too i we do have a caller on the line uh the auto screen didn't catch their name but they're out of canton illinois so uh who do we got on the line with us what's your name it's clay thurman oh clay what's going on man i see something about it's in reference to eric's mom <laughs> it says yeah. hey sermon so i didn't know i was like what's going on clay how you doing <laughs> i'm doing great uh, uh this is very interesting to me so I, I tuned into the first half and i apologize if you had maybe already covered this but uh, i didn't grow up hunting in 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 hot weather right and and obviously i do now I, I, i'm big into the mule deer side of it so i've got uh, I guess this is the callers for questions, right? I can ask questions. Mm-hmm. Yep, All I'm right. drinking. You ask. So, how long, how long, in your professional opinion, do you think that I have from uh, expiration of the animal until uh, it's it's just been too long? And and I'm not talking about having to give one time. I'm talking about watching it expire and and. Now we have to get the animal, uh, get the insides out of the animal, and then uh, possibly go back a mile for a four-wheeler or, or try and find some other, some other means of getting the animal out of a, a, a large canyon or, or whatnot. Man, Clay, did you ever watch the show 24, where the whole show is encompassed in yeah. 24 hours and the clock is in the corner ticking. Like, I feel that after the shot that happens to the guys that are out West in the hot, like, I feel like there's in their mind, they already feel the heat. They feel the, the warmth. Tink. tink exactly. Tink. <laughs> and it's just tick. Yep. Hey, that's a great question. Um, and I kind of put like, yeah, the 24 hour aspect, that's kind of just something I'm kind of throwing out as a ballpark that that's going to give the animal, time to die go through rigor and then after rigor there's just this long time where the inside can begin to bloat and there's a lot of bacteria in there that's just going to do an awful lot of things so in the back of your mind if you've got that number 24 kind of going through your head now given you know where you're at where i'm at that's going to change. That's going to, that's going to be a, a thing, but one sure thing that you can know that once you get up to them and you open it up and you get that out and you get them cool, your nose knows. So as soon as you, you take a whiff of that, if you, if you sniff venison, then congratulations, you've, you've got good quality meat there. If, if your nose catches something a little bit more pungent, then I, I would definitely, 
I don't want to say get rid of it, but then be very selective on what pieces you're going to be going. Anything that's deep by uh, by joints, especially I'm thinking of those hams. Those hams are going to be hot and it, you might be losing some meat there if it goes past that that 24 hour period. Uh, certainly the the tenderloins on the inside, they're going to be good and spoiled by the time that gut is just sitting there roasting. But I would I would put that 24 hour mark. But at the same time, if you can get on top of that animal uh, quickly, that's the best way to do it. You watch it expire. You know, you got a couple hours that you can go back, get the four wheeler, find a good way down into that canyon. Um, it's not a you know, it's not like a, an emergency at this point, but it's definitely of concern that you want to be able to get down there. So I would, uh, I would approach it with, you know, let's not drive around with that buck in the back or let's, let's not go to work and then come back. Hurry the fuck up. Is that like (laughs) in simple terms? Yeah. (laughs) Just, I've only had a half a glass so far guys. Come on. Come on. I like to swear, you know, I got to let a couple loose. So, so as a general rule, uh, I mean, I've had some bad luck a few times, but a lot of the time when you're mule deer hunting, you have, if you make a really good shot, you're, you're going to see the deer expire or beyond them within 20 minutes, right? If you, if you dump a long one, you, you pretty much watch them. Uh, so I would say that I'm not necessarily backcountry, but the, I think that I could get one. Uh, gutted and into a truck, or excuse me, into a cooler within five hours. So if you're talking 24, you you seem to be saying that hey, five hours is is plenty uh, in 90 to 100 degree heat. That's that's plenty quick enough in your mind. Because I always feel like I'm way behind the curve if it takes me four hours to get to a cooler. I'm, I would you know when you're getting to that 100 degree mark, you know I, I would bring that back maybe to 12, but at the same five, like that animal still has to expire. You've got plenty, like that is plenty of time to be able to get to that animal. I would say Bravo on that, given the conditions and you getting on top of it with you being urgently getting to it and yeah, having cooler and ice available, even in the field. I know guys like to, to drag them out to a, you know, a spot and even I've done it before where I'll, I'll bring it back to the house with gut in it just because i can get lights i can you know clean out the garage or you know move stuff alongside the garage hang it up and have a little bit easier process but again that's all on on situation when it comes down to like what you're saying super hot and you know this animal is now sitting here and it's beginning to bloat within a couple hours five i think is good to be able to get that into a cooler and to start chilling that down and i would say even just as you're you getting that gut out getting the gut and the hide open that's probably the best thing you could do. So even if you get up on it in 20 minutes or even within the hour, open it up, get that working, then go get the cooler. I think that would also be a good process there. Cause yeah, the inside of those things, because they are rumens, their, their what gut is, is full of bacteria. Um, ruminants are animal like cattle or um, goats and sheep. Okay. When they eat, they've got several chambers in their stomachs. And so what they do is as they're eating, they have to go through several digestion processes to get nutrients out of grass. So that's where they have all that bacteria. Well, when that animal goes down, 
all that bacteria is still working. And so that's where you see all that gas start to build up in the belly. And that's where things rupture and that's where things get real nasty. So being on top, open it up, get that out within five hours. That seems like a good time. So once you get that out, do you, are you extending the clock a little bit in doing so? You give yourself more leeway. It's, this is tough to say because it is all. Yeah, we're not, look, look, there's no lawyers on this call. We're not holding you to oh, all thank this. Goodness. Yes. Like, Clay, thank goodness. I was like, Clay's coming back on me later. And he'd be like, you said, I'm like, damn it, Clay. <laughs> That's funny. No, Clay, this is a great question because, you know, I'll, I'll be like one hour in full blown panic mode and it's like good temps because I don't know. And if you don't know, it's like, you're not, you're not sure what you can deal with, what your tolerance is. So that's a really good rule of thumb. But obviously, the hotter it is, the different circumstances, et cetera, it's situational. But, you know, as soon as you can, right? Yep. And then, like I said, with, just with, like with you, too, getting the gut out and getting air to it. If it's a clean shot and you're able to pull everything out, open them up, let the, the body cavity air out and have moving air around it, even if it's 90-degree air moving it across it, that's better then it's sitting stagnant, all closed up. So again, that's one step closer into a better situation than be it sitting there with gut in. What do you think, Clay? Is that a decent answer for you? <laughs> I think you're still with us. Oh, let's see. Uh, hold on. He dropped off. Here he is. There we go. <laughs> you put me on mute. Oh, what the uh, heck? Welcome no, back. I, I think that the uh, the 24 example was, was really spot on because that is what it feel like, feels like. And when you're alone, it's even worse because, you know, I'm not Jeremy Beck. I can't just bench press this 230-pound mule deer and put it on my shoulders and walk out with it. Like, I, I have problems getting the deer onto the four-wheeler you know what i mean <laughs> like it's really it's it's a tough process and and then you add velvet into the situation right that velvet's the same rotting flesh as everything else and you want to you you have to preserve the meat first but you also you, it, it means something to you to produce that or to preserve that velvet so uh hearing you know that makes me feel good that the five the five hour mark is uh is something that's acceptable. It always makes me nervous when you start seeing the green slides around, right? Which is within five or 10 minutes of opening up the deer. So. Yeah, you get, once you get, like you said, open that up within as quick as you can. And that's going to be the best thing. And yeah, like going back to it, your nose knows if you open that thing up and uh, it, it don't smell right. It's like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend a lot of time here or like I would take a, quick further analysis quick story it's almost on the opposite end but it has to deal something exactly uh with what's going on is i came across a, a roadkill deer and this is a whole nother thing that we can get on to um but i i hadn't seen it earlier in the day and so i thought you know what this might be a good one to pick up and i grabbed it picked it up got it in the truck brought it home and opened it up just to see what kind of condition was going on and it was just absolute putrid. Right. Uh, just the the inside, that bacteria had leached out and just had worked itself all throughout the gut. I don't know how far it went into, uh, 
like either back straps or into hams or anything. But as soon as I, you know, opened it up and even got to a, a spot that, um, like be it on the ham or even in the back strap, and I could already smell the spoilage, it was immediate. Nope, it, it goes away. We get rid of this, we compost it, we get it off into the dumpster. Like, this is something that we don't even want to mess with. Granted, that situation far different than someone who has put the time and effort into going and pursuing this animal and then to have it spoil in the back of the truck on the way to the processor. I, I get it. There's a total difference. But at that same time, like my knife was working up until the point I smelled it. And then it was like, you know what? It's not worth it at this point because I'm not going to be happy with getting sick from it. So being quick and being urgent, like you said, and then when you get to it, being able to open it up and then. Once you've gotten into the processing of it, your nose will tell you what's going on, Clay. So if you get if you get one of those shanks that just don't taste right or don't smell right, eh, you know, don't mess with it. Lose a shank, or if the the tenderloins just have an odd glaze to them, a little green color, you know, I know they're the most tender, but that doesn't mean that you have to go with them every single time. So I would say pull those, let them let them go, and then do something else with the rest of your prize there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's talk about a situation, if you don't mind, Eric. No, go ahead. Uh, I got no one in line after you. So, situation. if you, if you remember, uh, I don't know if you ever watched that uh, that drops that project. We don't kill anything or whatever it's called. Uh, the first year when they just absolutely killed everything, and they had all of their meat in the open air, and it was pretty awesome. Um, I, it was they were using some sort of a uh, using some sort of a citrus to to preserve and then they were hovering it over a creek to keep moving cool water around it. it what's what's your thoughts about that and and temperature in that type of a situation where ice isn't available and you're you're in a a position where you can't leave because you have another friend who is still hunting and, and you're there with them yeah any means that you have it's going to be a good thing. Kind of like when I was talking about Eric, when he was dragging his buck back and then throwing the bag of ice in, like you didn't have, they didn't have that. But at the same time, taking large, thick pieces of meat and breaking them down is going to be good at getting surface area opened up. You're getting air to more of that meat, not letting it go stagnant. So being able to either like debone so you don't end up with bone rot um, and then kind of opening up those those seams is going to be a good thing. Um, you were talking about, they were putting something on the surface. They were talking like the citric acid using something to make it so that flies or larvae don't get onto the meat is also a really good thing that you can do. Uh, I know the bags are getting really well. Uh, the meat bags are getting um, more quality to them so that you can stick them there and that, that actually can keep uh, flies off, but let air still pass through giving them a quick dunk or a couple minute dunk into a moving Creek is an absolute bang up idea with the idea that you are going to let that meat air dry or at least 
you know, you're, you're going to cook it. You're not going to eat it raw. Um, I don't know how well Giardia or any of those other parasites through water can go from uh, being in water to, to on uh, a dry surface. So I'm thinking it, it will die on a dry surface. And especially if you're adding the citric acid to it, that'll, that'll kill it. But man, that's, that's cold water there. That's moving. That that's a great resource that they could have used. Put that in there. Just give it a couple minutes in there. Let that take the uh, the body heat out of it. Pull it up. Let it hang. Let air move past it. Finding shade. Those are all really good things. Like you said, they were doing on that show. So I would say if you saw something on there that you that you want to that you could use, I would say go with it. But the best thing to do is is, is refrigeration if you have it available. Thanks, man. I just, it's, it's a very difficult part of the hunt. It's as soon as you let the arrow go at 90 degrees, it's, you, you instantly start, just like you said, you start, that clock starts ticking in the back of your mind. The clock starts ticking for me in that first mosquito bite at 90 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> awesome questions, Clay. Thanks for calling in. And yeah, that's, that seems like a good program there. Thanks, Clay. All right, boys. We'll talk to you later. All right. Have a good one. Dude, Nick, your your expertise is pretty deep with this stuff. Like you mentioned, you know, you were cutting up turkeys at a young age. Is that truly where some of this comes from? Or how much more out of the last three years are you doing podcasting? You've been studying up on stuff because you're talking about bacteria and all sorts of like really like macro things. You're getting pretty granular here. You're a wealth of knowledge with the stuff. This is more than, a, you know, some, some idiot standing by the grill. You really know what the hell you're talking about here. This is great. Well, I try to. And again, this is my passion. So I, I like to think that I know about my car's engine or my truck's engine, but I know there's guys that know a hell of a lot more than than that. So as much as you know, I'll do a minor fix here and there, I'm willing to to have somebody have the expertise to to work on my vehicle. But at the same time, like when it comes to you know, food and meat, like that's something I have a passion for. And so, you know, this this stuff is it, it's just I don't know. I'm built to, to enjoy it, I guess. And I think maybe it was my upbringing, but at the same time, like just watching how things are done in the processing plant and Hey, why do we keep water at this temperature? Why do we have to have all these checks? And so to hear about the different things that interact with food and how, you know, when you hear about like in the domestic market, you'll hear about like a listeria outbreak in some plant. And so they have to do a recall on meat. Like, why, how did they figure that out? How does that all work? And, and none of that is by chance by any means. It is a very well-run machine um, that our domestic meat system is. Um, it's got a hey, great you, flow is, to it. It's there for a reason, right? Like you, you can't just, not anybody, not any Tom Dick or Harry can just go start selling cows. You know, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or whatever. So right? like it's, diff, it's certified for a reason. Like the FDA is no joke. That's why like people like starting coffee companies. I'm like, well, that sounds fun, but that has to do with food. I'm not touching that. No, thanks. I'll stick to shirts. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, it's one of those things like, you know, it, it's fun to know this stuff and it's fun to get into it. And every day that I come up with a new new scenario, you know, Clay's throwing stuff at me and it's like, you know, I, I've heard of the citric acid stuff, but maybe I need to look more into that. And what other tricks can I can I find for that either field care or even uh, from from field to belly, how we're, how we're going to work on that. But, you know, just being really enthralled with that and how can I use that better? And that's where I'm at. And so I'm, I'm definitely, well, I'm a teacher by trade. So like our whole thing with teaching is that if you find somebody who's got a great answer, 
you steal that and then you use that on your students. And that's exactly what I'm doing. So I find someone who's got a great idea or have a great program. Yeah, Hell yeah, mix. I'm stealing yeah. it, but I'm going to yeah. share it with others. Yeah, that's great. And you can always give credit, right? That's a, you know, in, in the academia world, like you have to give credit. That's what a bibliography is for, for, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it makes sense. You, you want to share more knowledge with people. That's the wealth, you know, that's the, that's awesome. So I don't know, like what's your favorite recipe right now? Like what are you in love with over the, the, you know, the dog day, we're coming into the dog days of summer here, not too much longer, you know, we're middle of July. What are you cooking from last season? Um, I still have a wealth of I, I got two roadkill deer this past year that were really good. And so I got full hams off of both those and the back straps. So I've been I've been really living living high on the hog or high on the <laughs> high on the buck, I guess I should say. High on the buck. <laughs> I've got lots of any at my disposal. Um, but I was really getting interested in some of the um, Middle Eastern cuisine, mainly kind of like um, into using a yogurt-based marinade. And so I I made a recipe last year that didn't use the yogurt marinade. But Are you using this, Greek yogurt? I think you can use a Greek yogurt. I, it was just going to be a straight, like... Reminds me of like a euro yeah. or something. That's like a the cucumber, you Exactly. Know. That's where I'm going is actually is, yeah. is getting into some of the euros there. Um, I didn't go with the vertical spit that rotates and they have the big bit of uh, meat where they've stacked it all up and they have the sideways burner. I I didn't go into that, but doing like a shish kebab was probably the best avenue for that and be able to stack the meat up on a stick and then either go to a grill or go to charcoal or wherever you want to go with that. But then, yeah, making your own tzatziki sauce, being able to then take that same yogurt, uh, add some uh, lemon to it, the cucumber, whip that up into an emulsifi- emulsification. And what is emulsification? I'm asking questions for I'm an idiot, so I want I know I don't want to assume that I know these things. I don't, so I want to learn. All right. So for idiot standards, emulsification is really, really mixed, mixed to the point where the citrus is going to be infused into the oil. So it's, it's not going to separate. Think of peanut butter, oil, and peanuts. You've blended them together. You've made an okay. emulsification. They're, they're mixed. And then to the point where they're not going to just separate immediately. Now, you leave a thing of peanut butter out on the counter oh, for separate. Yeah. And, yeah, it's going to yeah, separate. That's, like that's the emulsification powder. going away. What's the other word I'm thinking of here? Homogeneous? Yes. <laughs> Is that the same? <laughs> It's that would be yes, a homogeneous mixture would be emulsification. emulsification. So much cooler. <laughs> Stick with that. Now, Keep if like, there's a biology teacher out there that can tell us that we're wrong, please do, and then give us the correct answer. <laughs> no, that okay. And and I'll interrupt because I'm so good at that. It's like a talent. Uh, and you're a podcaster, so you understand. But uh, Levi asked a question. He said, "Have you ever tried pronghorn?" I have not. It is. It's on the list. I know that they're not too far off. I know we can get it in, over into like Nebraska. Are they in Illinois? Are they on that leading edge of Illinois? I don't know. I know Levi's in Wyoming. Um, well, he definitely has them then. Yeah, Levi, are you trying to like offer some pronghorn? Because <laughs> Levi, I'm totally Why in. Ask. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, from what I've heard pronghorn uh offers its own characteristics and its own uh bit of like 
criteria trying to get it in out of the field. Definitely, definitely super hot, definitely flat. You want to be able to ride it with uh, a cooler in the truck to be able to get that animal. But as far as what I'm, as far as what I know, you could do pretty much anything you can with a whitetail deer and a pronghorn and get very similar product. Now they are raised halfway across the country. They're, they're going to eat different things. You're going to have different things that pop out, whether it be, you know, in a, a swampy Michigan buck, you're going to get a little bit of more of the, um, the spruce or the, uh, yeah, the juniper, but at the same time in some pronghorn, you're going to get a lot more sage brought out in that. So it's one of those things that, uh, you can do kind of the same thing back and forth. Unfortunately, I've not had a shot at a pronghorn yet. Sounds like Levi said if he gets one, he'll send some. So put us both on your list, Levi. Yes. I love it, that Levi. Would be, that would be a really great pra- a package receiving the mail, better than my uh, drop time package that shows up every <laughs> now and again. <laughs> uh, you know, th- th- this is an interesting topic, though. Speaking of the fact that like those things are all out in Wyoming or you know, Nebraska, wherever we're talking about, it'd be interesting for you to do an episode of what someone does in florida with a whitetail versus what they do in northern minnesota with a whitetail because the culture of eating is different the recipes would be different it'd be fun to do a north west south east of the same breed of animal but different recipes based on eating culture and food and things of that nature like you know absolutely different in the south than they do in the northeast or whatever that'd be kind of fun yeah I've talked to a couple gentlemen out of Louisiana. You want to talk about uh, guys who can talk down there in Louisiana. These guys will totally take your ear off. Um, they'll keep you on the line for, for hours. Um, one of their big preparations is pit box master or something like that. You're getting, you're getting an earful, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, but when you've got, they, they show up with the cooler and they put, they put the uh, meat right on top of the ice and they'll leave it there for, several days at a point to almost where they're like rinsing out the meat. So they're going with a wet method versus the drying out method. Um, I think they do kind of separate at that point, but at the same time, they really like to then get as much of the blood out of that meat, almost really uh, bleaching out the outside of it where, where we, I don't know, I'm accustomed to letting it hang as long as it can given the, my parameters. And so when I get a real dark red, I really like that. And they're almost on the line, like, if we can make this a little more blonde, if we can get more of that blood out, um, at least that's how the couple guys I've talked to down in Louisiana have have approached that. They want nothing to do with the blood. They want nothing to do with the dark. Whereas, you know, I hang mine and I start to see it getting darker. I'm like, oh, man, that just means richer flavor at that point. Interesting. See, that's the kind of stuff that, find, like, culturally is fascinating. We had um, uh, my wife's close friend, she... Um, was part of the Peace Corps. She was in Panama. She ended up marrying a Panamanian. Panaman, I think, is actually the correct term. So he's here in the states now, and he cooked a meal for us. And he, you know, I think it's more like I would say Mexican food almost. But he sliced these steaks super thin. I don't know if you call that a, a skirt steak or something. I don't know what the terminology is, but you go to a Mexican restaurant, you get thin slices, and he used a shit ton of soy sauce. And whatever he, however he's mixing these up, put them on the grill. It was, it was like really good. I was like, dude, I've never done this. This is like totally different. Wow, I was really impressed. You know, but that's just how they're used to cooking there. And I would have thought soy sauce, Mexican, that doesn't make sense to me. Like soy sauce, you think Chinese food, but it was, 
Man, it was like really authentically Mexican and delicious and straight out of like what you would do in Panama. I was like, how fun. So I like the cultural side of, of eating too. If we can experience other cultures with some wild game, that's kind of fun. Oh, it is. It is. And your first bit, um, I am going to touch on like the way he was cutting it with it being super thin. He's playing to the advantage of shortening out those muscle strands. The hmm. shorter you make them, the tender it becomes so that when you take like a large roast that's off the back ham, say the top round, those strands are super big. But if you cut it thin, it can become super tender because those strands that you don't have enough down there to chew on. It's going to it's going to break apart in your mouth. So when you take a cut that is like I would say thin on profile, but like as I lay it down there, it's like a sheet, say a skirt skate, a skirt (laughs) steak or something along the lines of that you want to be able to shorten those muscle strands. And so that's why you cut, cut it on the bias and be able to shorten those up. So he was playing to the advantage of if I make this short, it's going to be tender. And I know these Americans, they really like their tender stuff. So he's going to go with that. But with that whole food culture thing and just things fusing back and forth, um, show I really enjoy on, on Netflix is a show called Ugly Delicious. And it's um, Sounds uh, like my- Dave... Doesn't yeah. look good. <laughs> well, that's he's it's called Ugly Delicious. David Chang, he's like this big restaurant tour, but he had meager upbringing. Like he came into the industry of being, you know, someone who was going to open a restaurant. He had like real no formal training other than being in a restaurant and then went through these different stages. He learned under these different people, said he was going to do it on himself, and he just goes on this adventure. Um, now that he's made restaurants and done that, now he's got this show that he just shows how influences everywhere, like they don't just pop up out of no place. There is some influence that came from somewhere. So you show like with Panama, at some point there was probably some influence from either Japan or something coming across the Pacific that introduced the soy sauce aspect. And so people then adopted it more there. It's crazy where these connections all came about. If you look at the lineage of chili, the way that we have a bowl of chili is not the same dish that came from the Canary Islands. That from the Canary Islands, uh, basically meat and peppers, they came down into like Texas area and they started their basically the chili or the the beef and peppers. And then it explored out from there. And so when it came to us up in the Midwest, we were like, all right, I like the idea of a little bit of peppers. Now I'm going to add some tomato. Now I'm going to add beans into it. And then if anybody from Texas hears you put beans in it, man, they're going to flip their lid. They do oh, not dude. like that. <laughs> I, I did this question of the week thing on my Facebook page. And I think at one point I did do one about beans and chili and people lost their shit about it. It was like, I did one the other day about malt and it's funny I, I just like to hear disagreements about shit that doesn't actually matter because it shows that we can have disagreements as a society and it's fine exactly uh, the deeper it, meaning behind that uh but yeah the chili one was like highly highly debated <laughs> it's like so subjective like come on it is funny like there's a lot of majors out there that i'm i'm pretty sure that i could get along or i could see other people's viewpoints but at the same time it's like you know what no the chili the chili debate putting beans in chili i will die on that hill Every that time. and noodles and chili, that's a whole other ball game. 
And then you're like, then some people are like throwing in like, why well, put rice in my chair? And everyone's like, well, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> Republicans can only agree on the fact that there should not be a third party. Like Chile fans can only agree that there should not be rice. Like, get this guy exactly. out of here. We're having a well, real debate. <laughs> even the noodles thing. I yeah, I got a couple guys up here in the UP that, yeah, they throw out, oh, oh, I put noodles in my chili. I'm like, no, no, that's goulash. You can't call it chili. You're, you're getting into a completely different dish here at this point, bud. Oh, gosh. That's good. A good venison chili in a November, like cold November day when it's rainy or even like, that's great. Uh, stroganoff or... Uh, a pot roast or a stew come off of an ice fishing trip is great. Like those are some of those like wholesome soul warming meals that I just, you know, your day in the woods, come back to a slow cooked meal, man, is something special. There's just something about it that it just hits you in a different way. It's not even about like the meal. It's about the whole presence, you know, and that's when food becomes really meaningful and memorable because yeah, I can go eat Taco Bell right now and probably taste great, but there's no fucking meaning behind it. It's like I can play a video game, but that's not indelible. There's no memories that are going to be made playing a video game. It's going to do real shit in the world that matters. So when you're consuming food in a different environment, that's why I think food tastes better on vacation because you're you're soaking up the experience differently. Like, is this food really that good or is it because I'm on vacation? It's yes. <laughs> exactly. And going back to like we were talking about the goulash and just the memories thing, that is a dish that... um my mom was was big in the kitchen. Like the kitchen in our household was the center. That's where you did homework. Yep. That's where we hung out. That's where everybody met for a card game or you know playing a board game. Like everything was revolving around the kitchen. That was the center of our house. Whether it was you know amazing food or not that was coming out of it, but we had we had meals that that she would make and sometimes they were like just Tuesday meals she'd throw together and and throw them out there and she would try some things by no means was she a culinary mastermind but you could you could just taste the effort and love that she put into every one of her meals and so like when we were talking about meals that bring up those memories uh and with goulash specifically she makes a a great goulash and she started I mean she used uh turkey at this point ground turkey um in that but she would use it starting out when my younger brother was young enough to not have an opinion at that point. She would use like whole canned tomatoes. So you would have a big slice of stewed tomato that would be in that goulash and you'd have, you know, chunks of onion. But as soon as my brother got old enough to have an opinion, like he was like, I am not eating tomatoes. And he had this thing for onions that it's like he could find even a sliver of onion in anything and hated it the kid could take down pop tarts and hot dogs all day but at the same time he comes across an onion he can't have it so now when i make the dish you know i make it at my house like i'm putting in the stewed tomatoes you know kind of like an elbow to my brother at that point but at the same time like the memory of it like i'm chuckling as i'm eating a big slice of onion or you know a chunk of tomato i'm just chuckling to the fact that that was such a big thing in our households and it that's all surrounds around one single dish so it's funny you bring that up that is great i mean that's a it's funny food is just such a it's such a connector i don't remember where i read or heard this but there was you know let's just say war times or something like that, like enemies could come together over a meal because it's a very human thing to sit across a table from someone and consume food. So anytime there's some sort of peaceful conversation, it was around a meal. Business deals are made over meals. 
like they're also made on like the golf course and all that shit too. But you can never have two people that completely disagree with some someone or each other and have them sit together unless there is food in front of them. Because now you're doing something, I think Levi just said it's primal. You're doing something primal and it's just such a connector. It's such a bonding activity. And then you go back and then they hate each other again, right? Because they're, you know, they're fat and happy and they're like, well, now I don't need to be around you because I'm, I'm fed. But <laughs> it's just interesting because you get to the basics of what something is and you can experience and share that moment together. I think cooking is such a fun activity. Uh, my wife would disagree with me a little bit, but I enjoy putting on some music, pouring some wine, some scotch, whatever the hell it is, and like getting creative in the kitchen, having some fun cooking some stuff. I think I, I just love I just love that. And usually it's I like the snacking that's happening while you're cooking. You know, you put out some chips and some salsa or something like that, or you're making guac and you're, yeah, I just like the creativity that goes into some cooking and that, but I don't know anything, you know, I really just don't. So I really appreciate people that know the fundamentals of food and how things work together. I think that's fantastic. Well, you got the game plan down. Like, you know, this is a uh, hardware that we're talking when it comes to the skill of cooking, but the software of like, you're saying like bringing people together and making cooking and eating an event that's when wild game really takes the cake at this because that opens the door for when you know people yeah the people are having a drink they're they're relaxed and when you present something that you that you absolutely love and have a passion for in front of somebody like that is that that is venison diplomacy right there i have that's, that's a great served, a fucking shirt dude <laughs> I forget who I heard that from, but I was like, again, uh, I'm stealing that. I've talked to so many people that have turned their nose up to to wild game. And as they're telling me why they don't like wild game, I am either preparing or serving at that point, because at that point, it's like, I, I want to hear what has turned you away. I want to hear what is been the issue. But at the same time, I want to present to be like, listen, I, I put my heart and soul into this. And I, I know at that point too, I almost have to take my, my personal edge out of it. The fact that I put so much seriousness into making a dish uh, and if they don't like it, it might not be just because of the meat itself. It might be the, the actual preparation that they're just not akin to, but at the same time to come with an offering to be like, I hear what you're saying now hear what I'm saying. Like that's the absolute way to be able to, I don't know, just to share your passion I think with hunters, even throughout, if we were going to make it a current event, like look at the, the recent pandemic that we just got through with, that there was, at, it was called out by one of the CEOs in the food industry. I think it was either Tyson or Sarah Lee um, basically said that the, the chain is broken, that we're not going to be able to get to all, we're not going to be able to get the food to the people. And that's what started this food craze going into grocery stores and then just hogging things up here at the turkey farm, man. We, my brother was working 75 hours a week trying to just keep product moving out. Luckily, we were able to keep our chain short so that we could provide product. And people were super happy about that. But then I looked at all the hunters and anglers that were about and everybody that was out there was like, hey, do you do you need meat? Like, are you running out? Because I got extra and it was just everybody was opening up their their freezers and everybody yep. was opening up their pantries and their canned goods to say like, hey, if you need something like I, I am willing to share. So I look at our, you know, our gardening and foraging 
uh, brethren that are out there and, and sisters that are just saying like, you know what? Being attached to your food is a good thing. And having, having uh, dealt or having deal with your food might be something where people are like, man, that's just so pioneerish. Like, you know, you can go to the grocery store and have someone else do that for you. Right. But at the same time, when the grocery store fails, that so does the system. So to be able to be a part of your food system, not only I would say culinarily just adds more to it, but at the same time, there's a security as well. Yeah. And Levi just commented, he takes pride in making duck taste better than ribeye steak and changing people's minds. The key word there being pride. You take more pride in something that you took the life of. It means more. It's more important. The, the whole thing that you said about being connected to your food, that, that's kind of how I see that in my mind's eye. Like, I, I owe it to this animal to do a good job here. If I cook this and it gets thrown away, that's a waste of a life. You don't have that when you're eating ground beef from the store or McDonald's burger. You're so far removed from that chain. You're disconnected from it. So being connected to your food builds into that camaraderie too. So if you're having if you're having venison at deer camp, you're like, dude, this is that buck I shot last year. This is that fucking doe that wouldn't die. My God. She she freaking tastes great. And now you're prepping the food. You're having you you're you're talking about like the kitchen being the center of the household. Now now take that all the way back into the woods and bring it back to the table. These companies that are field to fork, field to table field to harvest to nature like there's so many companies that are on this you know wild game kick because it's important i interviewed when i was in my incubator for the app one of the things i was tasked with from some of these investors were like dude you need to go interview hundreds of people and figure out what the end user is doing so i interviewed close to 100 people and I interviewed the opposite end of the spectrum too. I talked to some like vegans. I talked to some paleo diet people. I talked to people that just eat only meat, the, you know, the carnivore diet. I talked to everyday people. I talked to farming people. I talked to city people. I talked to all sorts of people. And I remember talking to one guy and he's like, I've tried vegan. I've tried um, keto. I've tried carnivore. I've tried all of these things. He's like, my body just didn't react well to some of them. It didn't work for my body and how I function throughout my day. And he's like, I'm just trying to be healthful and I'm trying to explore things. And he was a very disciplined person. So he was able to do these different diets all the way through, right? And see them through and not break on them. And he said, well, one day I ended up at the store and I'm looking at the meat aisle. And he goes, and I asked myself, how the hell did all this get here? I just have no clue how this showed up. Where did it come from? So then he took up archery and he started shooting a bow. He rented a bow from a local archery shop. He eventually bought his own bow, started shooting. And then he's like getting into hunting. He wants to kill his own food because he wants to know that it came from someplace that he saw. How crazy and awesome is that? And so us as hunters, we owe it to ourselves to like, look, if you're a vegan, maybe I won't hate on you because maybe there's a chance that you might go all the way from being a vegan to killing a deer because you found yourself standing at the grocery store going, what the fuck am I doing? Where did this come from? It's fascinating to me. And so it was through that process of interviewing so many different people and hearing so many different stories where it was like, this is important. People need to get into this stuff because it's good for mental health. They get in the woods and disconnect from technology and connect with nature, have a more like larger purpose. And then you go to the food part and it's like, there's just so many benefits here. And the food part to me is I say in OKS Hunter, it's memories and meat, man. It's memories and meat. Like you're making memories and you're getting meat. Like those are two huge components that are bigger than any rack or accolade you could get. You know, I'm off my soapbox now. You're the guest here. I'm sorry. That was the scotch. 
<laughs> no, that's a beautiful soapbox because I go with that. Like, even I would say outdoorsmen, we share more with vegans than we think we do. I know that they have they hold a hard stance on on animal ethics and they hold a hard stance on on consuming meat. And you know, we might differ when it comes to like consuming the actual meat at that point. But when you look at like when you look at the way that we want to treat the animals that we then eat, like again, it does kind of boil down to a thing like I want that animal to have the best life because when I do take it, like that is that's on my shoulders. And they mm-hmm. say, like, how can you do that? And I'm like, uh, easy. I practice with the bow and I make sure that it's a good shot. And so it's it's one of those things that I can't deny that I don't feel that uh, remorse, I wanna, you know? remorse because it is there's a feeling that when you walk up to that carcass, there's something that uh, it is. You're like, man, I've done this. I have I've killed this animal. And so when I there's a transfer transformation and you know for different people it it comes from a different different place at that point like when does that animal become food but at the same time i take that memory and it goes across all the way so that carcass as soon as i approach it like i know that i've taken that life and so now the process begins to how can i use this to the best of my ability to bring as much i don't want to say glory but as much i don't know gratitude to this animal so for me, taking a dish and just making, you know, taking the whole deer, grind it up, give me the back strap and the pepperoni sticks. I don't appreciate that. Is that how uh, an okayist hunter will approach that? Yes. And I say, enjoy every one of those pepperoni sticks. Make sure you share those pepperoni sticks. Make sure you use that ground in <laughs> not only your goulash. Sausage and the meat sticks and the, all that. That's like the... Everyone's like, do you bring me some of those? And and that's like the, yes, I will share this with you because now you're going to understand. And then they eventually get hooked and everything else. Maybe. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Cause that, that is, that's how a lot of people get started too. summer sausage. I would say that is the great Christmas equalizer. How many Christmas parties happen where oh, there is a venison summer sausage <laughs> sitting there and I guarantee nobody takes any home. It is gone. Yep. Yep, especially when you get the jalapeno cheddar rolling. Oh boy, those are just poof yeah. gone. Oh, that's a good. That's good stuff. I mean, and are you are you grinding your own meat? You have like a meat grinder. How much you're doing? I mean, you're you're unique in the sense that you're probably doing more than most. I mean, clearly you have a podcast around it called Hunt Divorce, so I would expect that. But maybe not everyone's doing that. So that's a whole other thing that you can get into from a hobby perspective. You can spend a lot of money on grinding your own meat and all that stuff too. I'd imagine. Oh, yeah. Now you can go to a butcher and have that done, depending on, again, creating that relationship with any processor. You just kind of like walk up and say, hey, would you do this? I don't know how many would. But if you've come to a guy and you start to create a relationship and that, you know, you make you make some he makes summer sausage and you happen to bring him a little extra something like that, you can get that relationship going where he can grind the meat for you. So for guys who don't want to get into that process, like, again, you know, gratitude goes a long way you know where instead of bringing him the summer sausage that you would bring another buddy you bring him a bottle of drop time and all of a sudden things just kind of open up for you yeah it's a good point um occasionally i do cheat depending on how much i have i will use the commercial grinder here at the farm and you know it, it takes longer to <laughs> it takes longer to clean the machine than it does to actually grind the meat <laughs> which which is always a good thing but i mean you know a half horse three quarter horse, one horse, 
grinder that you can use in your home in your home it just it's going to take a little time and just like with field care it's just going to be temperature control uh keeping the meat cold keeping whatever uh fat or other protein you want to cut in keeping that cold as well it it's all centered around the the kitchen i I feel like if you're watching the lions lose really bad to the Packers, then this would be a time that you'd want to bust out the grinder because you don't have to watch the TV every minute. You know, you can watch Aaron Rodgers throw Hail Marys another day. Let's get this grind through out here. But, you know, it's going to take a couple hours, but it's a it's a process that you get to enjoy at that That's point. So any size that you got. I was going to say, going back to the whole, you know, you know, my wife or anybody's wife or whoever or your husband, if you're female like whatever it is um i think her trepidation is because it feels like the wild west like eric how do you rate you know when there's so much regulation when you talk about the fda and usda and things of that nature the care and handling that goes into that it's certified that this is safe to eat so when she thinks of wild game she thinks of unregulated unsafe she's not necessarily like oh it came from the wild she's like hey that came from like the wild is it good like do I trust you? You're an idiot, Eric. Like, how am I going to eat this stuff? And I think that's where some of her concerns probably stem from now that I like consider a little bit more. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Coming into it, my wife is the same way. Now she really does enjoy venison. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, she's when I do come home with a roadkill and I'm working on it down in the shop and she's like, like, no, no. No, that ain't. You know, I have a special label. Again, I got a podcast. I got to. I got to practice this stuff. I got to try out new things. That's what the roadkill goes to do. You know, I do. I call them Sal if it's a buck for salvage, and Sally if it's a doe. So that's how I know in the freezer when I'm going through stuff. Uh, If I find a Sal or Sally, that's the stuff that gets the uh, the experimental treatment. That's cool. That's good that you're experimenting that way. Well, dude, like, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, let's make sure people know where to find you. If they haven't heard of you, I assume most have. You know, it's a pretty small community, but uh, go ahead and, and share your handles with everybody so they can tune in. Gotcha. This whole this whole hour just blew right by. This was so much fun. Um, yeah, you can find me. Instagram is a big uh, uh, portal for me. It's easy because I can throw stories up there. So check along with those. And that's at Huntivore um all lowercase on that so yeah just check me out there i'm I'm constantly trying to put stuff up there uh throw me a dm if you got a question or just comment on you know what i'm doing ask questions and i can either give you an answer or find out what i'm doing and uh shoot answers back to you i'm on facebook as well that's uh hunt of war podcast um but then yeah if you want you can find me wherever podcasts are or head over to sportsman's nation and you'll find me there um within the other conglomerate of all the other podcasts but hey if you've got a love for the outdoors i would say head over to sportsman's nation anyway because there's a lot of places to or there's a lot of guys on there with just great content that you could get something out of that's fantastic thanks for sharing that and thanks for sharing so much knowledge with the listeners today i think you covered the topic really really well we did cover quite a broad spectrum um and thanks to our caller you know that was freaking awesome that like (sighs) i tell you clay man you gotta find it I feel it's like nice. if I shot a mule deer and it's that hot, like I don't have 24 going through my head. I have like, yeah, the hour ticker down. Oh, so good on a, him though, that he can, uh, can get it done. He, he's been a guest several times. Uh, he was recently on, he, uh, tagged along with it and like basically initiated the conversation we had with the, the bow hunting league. 
um, which is a super cool thing. If you haven't heard of that, if you're not part of that, like it's free to enter. There's lots of upside and prizes you can do before like August something. I think maybe August 1st. So maybe jump on that. But Ooh, okay. uh, good dude, hardcore hunter, knows his shit. So the fact that he came in with a question was that made, made me pretty happy. Um, awesome. Anyway, I'm glad he was okay with my answer. <laughs> it seemed like a great, well-informed answer. Like it was awesome. And you were on the spot. So I think you did great. I'm going to go ahead and end the live broadcast. I'll keep you on here for just a minute to debrief. All and right. that See you, folks. Yeah, thanks for hanging out with us. This will be live in podcast land tonight. So thanks, everybody. What's up, everyone? Anthony Heller here with Deer Vane, and this week's tip of the week is related to summer scouting. So as we're all kind of gearing up and getting ready for season, a lot of people like to take to the fields, the soybean fields specifically, maybe some alfalfa fields, and uh, keep an eye on the deer that are coming out and seeing what's out there. Um, and same with trail cameras, if you're getting trail camera data as well, and you're starting to see more and more bucks. Uh, the biggest thing to remember is that these are summertime patterns. So these patterns, a lot of the times aren't even good when season opens in early October, if that's you, or in Wisconsin, it's mid September, even sometimes then those patterns are not, uh, not relevant anymore because typically by that time that the soybeans turn yellow, uh, the deer aren't using them anymore. They've changed food sources and they're moving on to something else. However, I, I say that to, to just get you thinking like it's great to see them get that inventory and get that understanding of who these bucks are hanging out with and what types of groups they're in and what type of bucks are in the area and all that stuff. That's great and good information to know. Um, but also keep in mind that those are pro very it's unlikely that those are the spots that you'll be hunting come the beginning of season. You know, if they're in an alfalfa or in a soybean field and you know 100 yards away or 150 yards away back in the woods, there's a great oak flat. I'd probably jump back to that oak flat on opening weekend rather than that alfalfa field because typically uh, those soybean fields, sorry, those, that soybean field is yellow. They aren't feeding on it anymore and acorns have become you know, one of their first primary or their primary food sources. So anyway, just want to throw that out there, you know, take it all with a grain of salt. It's still fun. It's still awesome. Um, but just keep that in mind. All right. Hope it helps everyone.